I think now, especially in this climate that we're in, for myself at least, I'm going to be doubling down on my activity. I know that I did so in the last recession. I worked harder and smarter then, and I'm going to do so again now. That will ensure survival and hopefully a very, very profitable Q3. Welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and my guest today is Greg Benadiba. Greg is the president of Bilingual Source in Toronto. The company's been going for over 35 years, and they are leaders in the placement of bilingual talent, meaning jobs requiring candidates who speak both French and English. Greg joined the firm in 2005 as an account executive, and he's worked his way up manager, vice president, before taking the helm in 2019. Greg manages a team and he still makes placements. In fact, he's consistently been a top producer with record billings of $750,000 in a single year, and he's helped double the organization's revenue over the last four years. Greg is one of my coaching clients, and he's been a customer since 2013, so I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to introduce you to him. We're going to talk about how to protect your business during the current coronavirus pandemic, how to lead your team through this crisis. In fact, we're going to spend some time talking about leadership principles and when things rebound and you're ready to grow the business again, how to screen recruiters and pick the right ones who are most likely to perform and become pillars of your business. Hi, welcome, Greg. How are you? Thank you, and thank you very much for having me. It's an honor. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm really excited to learn from you and to share your experience with the audience of the Resilient Recruiter podcast. So listen, the world is focused on only one thing at the moment, and that is the coronavirus, COVID-19. What are your thoughts on how to stay relevant and resilient in this time of huge uncertainty? Well, I think the word resilient couldn't uh, be more true on any day. I mean, just this morning, the Premier of Ontario declared a state of emergency here. And what's happening is uh, all of the major outlets, stores, banks, everybody has shut its doors, restaurants, bars as of last night. Funny, it's happening right on St. Paddy's Day. The mayor basically told us that if we all behave He'll give us another St. Patrick's Day uh, in the spring. So it's a tumultuous time indeed. And, you know, just a quick intro, my firm, Bilingual Source, we concentrate on French-English recruitment in the greater Toronto area. And we're the leading uh, French agency here in in Canada. So we're language specific. The day before yesterday, I had 120 jobs on my list. And my team is currently actively updating it. And I'm looking at a number 72. Mm. So there's been a significant decrease in job orders, which I anticipated. There's going to be a significant decrease across the board. So tumultuous time to say the least, but I've been here before. I mean, I lived through 08, 09, much like you did and uh, learned a lot from those times. And these are really the tests that good recruiters are put uh, in front of. And uh, I know we're going to pull through. And right now, it's just about working smart. Absolutely. Can you describe Bilingual Source a little more, like the size and shape of the business? We're about a 30-person strong organization. Uh, I've got five 
great managers on my team, each of whom have uh, recruiters and account executives underneath them. We service all of the major Fortune 500 companies here in Canada. So uh, if a bank needs a contact center representative, if an insurance company needs a CSR, that's exactly what we do. So we're in mostly customer service search. And again, right now, very tumultuous time to say the least. Absolutely. And you guys have been in business a long time. When did the business get founded? I think it was in 1984, before my time. We just turned 35 years old. I uh, entered the company uh, 15 years ago as a recruiter and moved my way up uh, to business development and into a leadership role and and now as president and uh, CEO. Fantastic. All right, Craig, thank you. So what lessons do you think we can take from the last time we had so much uncertainty 0809 and apply here? Like what's your philosophy going into this in terms of the way that you're leading your company? Yeah, so 0809 was obviously different from this time. We were still able to be in the office. uh, And for the first time in our history today, I asked everybody to stay home. You know, I think we've got great tools. I mean, just like our computer and and what we're able to speak through right now. Uh, These are fantastic tools that still allow for us to do our jobs. But more importantly, for us to allow our clients to be able to continue to interview. I still think it's possible in this day and age to be able to interview, to be able to hire, and even have people work remotely. There are going to be positions that need to be filled regardless of the pandemic that is happening. And what I'm hopeful of is that we're able to curb this thing and uh, not going to the numbers that Europe is experiencing and hopefully pull out of this stronger. So I think those are some of the main differences of what's happening today versus what happened in 08 and 09. But what I can say is this, you know, finding people is challenging. I think we all know this as recruiters. There is still a need. And what's going to end up happening is right now is a time to greatly position yourself for that upswing. And you have to really keep a, a good level head on your shoulders And right now is the time to sharpen your tools. So get your client lists ready. I don't think it's intelligent to be making marketing calls right now. I don't think it's a time to go and pitch your service when maybe there is no need. But I think getting ready to do that and having a plan of action so that when things start to taper off, you can take full advantage of the situation. I think that's a correct strategy. And that's exactly what I'm asking my team to do. So right now we're focusing on training. That's exactly what we're doing. Fantastic. Can you say more about that? Like when you say you're focusing on training, what does that involve? Well, we've uh, we listened to the entire recruiter seminar that you participated in, and and I uh, got that from Mike, and uh, went ahead and downloaded the entire uh, series. So I've I've now put it in uh, my team's hands, and they have access to it. So uh, learning from you, learning from all of the recruitment uh, counterparts from the, the big recruiting summit that happened last week. Again, another tumultuous time to hold a summit. Yeah, no kidding. That, and I think also really getting down to understanding where the business is. I think that's important. You know, it's at a time like this when you realize that maybe you're too reliant on having certain accounts come in for you when they may no longer be available to you. You have to have some contingencies in place. I mean, if you've got one or two key accounts and your business is dependent on that, 
that may not be a good thing long haul. So really taking the time to do the research now as to where the business is going to be and maybe some areas uh, for growth down the line, I think this will certainly help. Unfortunately, I think there are going to be some recruitment firms that are going to take some big losses. The clients that they once had are certainly going to be open and uh, hopefully that'll be an opportunity to scoop up that business as well. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. So, you know, we want to position ourselves and make sure that we are coming through this through the other side in order to take advantage of the opportunities that inevitably, I mean, this will pass, right? So as scary and as uh, challenging as it is, it will pass. And then we need to be well positioned in order to take advantage of another upswing, which uh, always happens right at the end of any downturn. So what are some of the ways that you and your team are making sure that you are one of the survivors and that you're coming through as strong as you can? Well, I can tell you right now, candidates are actually picking up the phone. So Mm -hmm. I'll share that little tidbit there. I mean, everybody's picking up the phone. Uh, So now is a great time to get a hold of candidates. But it's time to really analyze your team, I think, as well, to look Mm -hmm. at, you know, payroll and look at uh, who is performing. And this will certainly bring to the surface uh, those who may not have been profitable thus far. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe, you know, it might be time to lay some of those folks off as much as it pains me to say. Lean and mean at the end of the day is what's going to help any recruitment firm survive out there. I know our government announced this morning that it is going to be putting some special employment insurance contingencies in place. So I'm, I'm waiting to hear what our federal government says at 11.30 this morning, just to make sure there's a stopgap for people and their families as well, to make sure that this won't impact them too severely. But I think, you know, if push comes to shove and, you know, there's a lack of work, maybe temporary layoffs uh, might be a way to do, you know, to shore it up so that we can survive. Of course, the company has to survive no matter what. I've even proposed to the ownership that I take a reduction in salary as well for the time being until uh, we shore ourselves right back up. Awesome. Fair enough. That's all very uh, rational. So you mentioned that you guys aren't charging ahead with the marketing calls today, but what are you guys doing from a relationship building point of view to make sure we don't lose touch with those key customers so that when they do need us, then you're the, you guys are the ones who get the business? Good question. So uh, we've been using our newsletter software. What I did was I increased our Zoom account, essentially like a WebEx slash Zoom. Our employers can certainly use those accounts for interviewing purposes. So we're, we're trying to create a value add there. You're making your Zoom account available to your customers so they can do video interviews or... Yeah. So I went on to Zoom and and what I saw is that you can actually change from one seat to two or three or four seats at any given time. So this can enable certain accounts that may not have the capability to do the Zoom themselves. They can borrow our seat uh, in the meantime. Great idea. Yeah, sure. And, And I mean, they can interview. And I mean, if we can facilitate those kinds of interviews for them and make it so that business doesn't come to a complete halt, I think that's uh, certainly something that we can do to help facilitate things, right? Absolutely. Brilliant. During the last recession, I was advising people, get in front of your customers, right? You have to 
this is a great time to invest. Even if they can't do business with you right now, even though they have orders for you, then keep getting in front of them because then when things pick up or as soon as they do have some openings, then you know who are they going to give that to? They're going to give it to the person they have the best relationship with. But in this case, you know that's not practical. So do you have any other thoughts about how we maintain those relationships? I think regardless, you do have to get in front of your customer. Although in this particular case, it's not going to be in a face-to-face basis, obviously. It's going to be via email. It's going to be via conference. I mean, everybody's asking, what is your organization doing? So maybe even facilitating any sort of conferences or meetings via these tools that we have now is certainly a great way to get in there. I think good old candidate marketing, I mean, it's still going to be a good time. And I think that's going to be the value add there. Unemployment has been at a 42-year low in our country, and that's about to change. So unfortunately, a lot of people are about to become unemployed. What this will do is it'll allow us to take some of that candidate inventory and showcase it to our employers, albeit it'll be with a bit of a preface. And I mean, we'll let them know, I know you may not be hiring at this time, but that too will change. And when it does, I wanted you to know that we are keeping you top of mind. Yeah. Awesome. You know, it's interesting because I, have you read 10X by Grant Cardone? I have not. All right. It's one to, I know you like business books. There's one to put on your list. His style is pretty in your face. Like I didn't like him at first, I'll be honest, but you kind of warm to him eventually because you just can't, like he's so enthusiastic and so energetic that although it's annoying at first, you kind of grudgingly come to respect him. I listened to his audiobook recently. And one thing I took from that was to set much higher expectations of yourself and each of us setting higher expectations of ourselves in terms of our commitment to whatever activities are required in order to, to get the job done. So whether it's marketing outreach, whether it's you know candidate interviews, whether it's advertising, whether it's LinkedIn messages, whether it's emails, The idea, his 10x philosophy is like, we should be doing 10 times, like set yourself uh, a target that's 10 times more, that's unrealistic almost. And even if you don't get that, you're still going to achieve an awful lot. And so I'm kind of taking the approach that you need to sell, advertise and market your way through tough times. So rather than cutting my ad budget, I'm maintaining, if not increasing my advertising budget. I'm increasing the number of sales appointments I'm doing per week and and that sort of thing. Right now, people are watching more actively than ever before. If you were to look at, you know, overall numbers and eyeballs that are looking at advertising, I'd say now is a great time to advertise. People are actively looking at LinkedIn, they're looking at their feeds. So I think that's a smart strategy. I just think, you know, on the marketing front, when you're a recruiter looking to market your services, You've got to be careful with saying, are you hiring right now? I mean, that's never the right way to market to begin with. But I think you should not alienate your customers because right now they're going to think, hey, the world is sort of going on a hiring freeze, right? You're right. You're right. What I'm proposing is not that you start doing more pitching and like directly selling your services. However, I would still class that as a marketing call if you're calling to offer support and you know insight or guidance to customers, for example. So you don't have to be saying, hey, are you guys hiring? Because I've got some great candidates, right? I don't think that's that effective anyway. But I'm thinking more like, 
everybody's looking for leadership. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for support and, you know, in navigating through this and empathy. Ultimately, those are all things we can give to our clients if we have suggestions, um, recommendations, advice. And even if we don't have that, then we can at least offer, you know, support and, um, you know, and empathy to our clients, right? You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, we as leaders need to be there for for not only our people, but for our clients who who rely on us uh, heavily. So the question is, you know, how can we add value, you know, considering the current circumstances that our clients are in? If any customers are currently laying people off, it might be a good time to go ahead and let them know that, you know, yes, it's a tough time to be laying people off. Why don't you pass those candidates along to me? so that I can see if I can help them out. I mean, that that was very effective the last recession. Whenever a company was doing a mass layoff or a downsize, they were able to kind of say, hey, by the way, I've got a consultant. His name is Greg, and he'll gladly give you some advice on what we can do next for your career. It's tough, right? When you got to lay people off, it's very difficult. But if you can have the help of a recruiter to do it with, then um, certainly helpful along the way. Awesome. That's brilliant. So... You've built a great team. I think you said you've got 35 people at the moment. What have you learned in your many years in leadership on screening people for, well, I guess there's broaden it out, maybe not screening, but hiring and retaining recruiters, especially millennials. What are your thoughts on that? Boy, that's uh, that's quite a question. I'd like to think I have it right. Uh, sometimes I even scratch my head and say, do you really? It's tough. I mean, recruiting recruiters is the very reason why I'm in this business to begin with, because I'm the type of character that gets bored very quickly. And once I've mastered something, you know, I'm kind of looking around saying, have I mastered this? And when it comes to recruiting recruiters, I still have not. So I can tell you now that it is an ever-evolving process. I have a clearly defined checklist of things that I look for when I'm recruiting a recruiter. And that checklist is comprised of questions all based on mistakes that I've made in the past. So every time I make a mistake, I identify what that mistake is, no matter how painful it is. And I take the time to craft it into a question that I'm going to be asking any potential candidates down the road. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I got to tell you. I'll share with you a few of those uh, principles, if you'd like. Yeah, please. Again, recruiting recruiters is very difficult. And just to give you a little bit of a background, we at Bilingual Source, for the most part, we don't recruit experienced recruiters. So we like to kind of groom millennials into our own. So we'll take an inside salesperson, a customer service rep, I've even recruited people from restaurants who are servers, who are very gifted when it comes to people and turn them into top producers. They've all come from different backgrounds. They've all come from different walks of life, but they all share a lot of the same values. And that's really what I've been able to hone in on is the values that make up a good recruiter. You know, number one, you have to be good with people. Number two, you have to be driven and sales focused. You have to be somebody that is okay with living an existence where targets are your daily way of life. You have to be resilient. No matter what, it's going to get tough. 
And even in the good times, it gets tough. You know, candidates do all kinds of funky stuff. Ghosting in terms of, of this generation are unfortunately the norm. And it takes a toll on certain individuals that don't have that sort of emotional quotient or that emotional intelligence to be able to cope uh, with difficult circumstances. You need somebody that's got the attitude that they always are learning. You know, these are questions that I ask continuously is, you know, what do you read? Do you like to learn? I mean, when, when somebody tells me that they don't really read or they don't listen to audiobooks or they don't delve into self-improvement, for me, that's unfortunately going to be a no-no. I like to ask this question. What's the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life or most difficult thing you've ever been through? You know, when somebody tells me that the most difficult thing they've ever done is graduate university, that's okay. Don't get me wrong. Getting a degree is, is tough. But considering what we're going through in life, I don't think that's enough of, uh, of a difficult circumstance to go through to be able to substantiate what's about to come next in a recruitment role. Absolutely. I love it. That's a, that's a brilliant question. I'm picturing you sitting in a restaurant and then recruiting your server. Has that ever happened? Or Funny, my wife kind of gives me the eyeball when she sees that I'm about to do it. And <laughs> she'll, she'll look at me like, you know, kind of with those eyes of, are you about to recruit this person? Yes, I have. And it's worked. I got to tell you, I mean, one of the best recruiters I ever recruited, his name is uh, Mark, and uh, he was a server at the keg, albeit I found him through LinkedIn, but nonetheless, a server. And uh, listen, you can find good recruiters wherever you go. I think the main thing is to have sort of your, your ARS, your activated reticular system is what they call it, to be conscious of what it is that you're looking for. And when you find those qualities... You need to step in and take action because a lot of the times, I mean, I, I didn't know I wanted to be a recruiter when I grew up and I had no idea, right? I mean, Absolutely. I don't think I don't think any of us thought, hey, you know what? I want to be a professional headhunter, right? I want to be a professional recruiter. None of us do. I mean, kids usually want to be police officers or doctors. I think the main thing is that you have to proposition that person in the right way. But you also need to figure out what that person is looking for long term. You know, if, if that person is not looking for a true career, if they're not at the right point in their life, if it's premature, it won't go over very well. And I mean, that's the main thing is you have to really kind of catch the person when they're at the precipice of making that life change of moving from, say, the service sector into the corporate sector. By asking the right questions. And, and you know what, Mark? I mean, it takes time. That's what I'm going to say is if you want to recruit somebody properly, you can't rush it. It's not something that you can, you know, just take a call, do a 20 minute phone screen, a half hour interview, and, and that's it. You know, garbage in, garbage out. When you are not doing your due diligence, when you're rushing through things because you're busy, and I understand we all are, you're cutting corners and you're going to unfortunately waste your time. And I can tell you now, when I recruit somebody in our office, it takes me about a year to a year and a half to groom them appropriately. So when I think of a year to a year and a half of my time, how much is that worth? It's worth quite a bit. Am I going to invest that kind of time in an individual that I haven't properly screened? I would say no. So slow down the process. Make sure that you've got it right. Now, I'll add a little tidbit. We added something into our process that has been significant. Once we've 
gotten through, say, the, the two interviews and maybe the, the profile testing because we do a bit of a sales test. What we've also introduced into our process is a full day job shadow where the incumbent can come in and shadow myself or another recruiter on our team and really hear how the job is done. And then for the later part of the day after lunch, we give them a list of candidates with the aim of trying to achieve contact with those candidates and trying to work referrals, almost like a quasi test to say, okay, Mark, so how many names can you get me? You know, in thinking of three-dimensional recruiting and in thinking of how to continuously come up with names, when you're contacting these folks, your aim will be to try to get some additional names. And so we see if the person is adept at asking questions and if they can sort of navigate a person's network, if they have those innate abilities to schmooze and to be able to uh, socialize with the people that are on the phone with them. And for those that do and come back to us with a nice list of, you know, four, five, six, ten names, we know we've got ourselves a winner. But more importantly, the person knows what they're getting themselves into, right. especially, if, especially if they've never been a recruiter before. So we've found this to be very, very powerful in uh, sort of curbing any unnecessary uh, resignations. Absolutely. I love it. It's a brilliant idea. And, you know, even if someone's willing to do that or not, it's a great test, right? Because if they think, ooh, I couldn't do that, or they shy away from it, then they probably are not the sort of character that's going to do well. Yeah. If they have a, a problem with spending a day learning uh, from myself or one of the other senior leaders, then again, I mean, it's they're probably not going to be cut from our cloth. Right. That's a brilliant, uh, that's a brilliant idea. And you mentioned the testing. What's the test that you would give someone a sales test? So ours is actually called sales test online. It can be found okay. at salestestonline.com. We've seen like the Myers-Briggs and all those tests. They're rather expensive for our blood. Sales test online. I think each test costs us like 40 or $50, which is a lot less. And it gives us a good indication of a person's sort of their, their closing abilities, their assertiveness, their stamina. Stamina is a big one. Their sociability and their turnover propensity. So it gives us a good idea as to who this person is. And I mean, you know, it's only one tool in, in our tool belt, right? We're, we're not just simply gauging on the test. We want to know who this person is and, and if they're going to fit into our team. So we're, we're very careful as to who we let into our group because we have a great group dynamic. I can tell you our, our team is uh, very intelligent. They're fast moving recruiters. They know what they're doing. I'm very fortunate to have a team that are pretty much all constituted of what I'd classify as top billers. Awesome. Really interesting process. Can I circle back to something you mentioned, which is learning from hiring mistakes and then adapting your selection process to try and predict and remove people where you could make the same mistake. Do you have any examples of like a specific change that you made to your like questions or your process based on a bad hire or? I can give you some very simple examples. Uh, one of the questions that I ask is how many hours a week do you put in? Simple question. Most people will tell you over 40 and I tend to jot down my notes and keep them because, you know, I want to make sure that the person knows recruiting is going to take few more hours, especially at the beginning. I'm not saying yeah. forever. You know, I, I believe in work-life balance as well. I believe, you know, in having you know an outside life and, and a harmonious balance. 
But in the beginning, when you're learning a new craft, you're going to have to be all in. I mean, it's going to take quite a few hours. So, you know, I asked the person, how many hours a week uh, do you typically work? And are you willing to put in extra hours? That's one little tidbit. Mm. Is vacation a priority for you? That's a question that I ask because, you know, I've had people that want to start and then in month three ask me for a two-week holiday. And as much as I'd love to be the kind of guy that says, yeah, sure, take two weeks off, I know full well that you're in your liftoff period. And if you take two weeks off in month three, I don't know if you can recoup from that, especially with just about to build your pipeline, finally getting things on the go, and then you you sort of interrupt it. So Mm -hmm. uh, one key question that I've asked is, do you have any holidays planned? in the next year? And if so, where and and what is the duration? And again, I explain very transparently to the candidate why it is that I'm asking. And it's it's very simple. I mean, in your first six months as a recruiter, you're trying to achieve liftoff. We know full well that you're using up most of your fuel to get up to 30,000 feet. And, you know, you cannot have an interruption uh, during that liftoff period. Once you've established your pipeline, once you've gotten things going, sure, Take a break. I think you know a well-rested recruiter is certainly a higher-performing recruiter. I believe in that, but certainly not in the first three to six months. I mean, that's a key question right there. Again, like I had mentioned before, what are some of the most difficult things you've been through in your life? Tell me about a time when things didn't go your way. I mean, what what did you do? What was that time? I try to find out what is inspiring them to succeed as well. Kind of getting back to that, you know, starting with why. Why do they want to succeed? That's an important question. And, you know, at first people are kind of taken aback by, you know, why do I want to succeed? Well, obviously, because I want to succeed, right? But what's really fueling you to succeed? What is it? And I mean, we, we all have very different reasons. I know for myself, I'm terrified of failure. So fear is a very big motivator for me. I don't like to be at the bottom of the board. I like to be at the top and I'm ultra competitive. Uh, But I'm also always looking for areas for improvement to hone in on my craft. Each person has their own sort of rocket fuel, as I would call it, their own purpose, their own why. And when you can get down to that, you now have the core motivator by which to manage that person. And, And I think that that's a key. Once you understand what each person's motivation is and you take the time to care and align your interests with theirs, it makes managing people a pleasure. It truly does. And that, that certainly ties into the retention piece and keeping people in your brand and in your family. I love it. That's a great, great insight. Thank you, Greg. And, and I like your liftoff analogy. That's cool as well. So much detailed advice. I really appreciate you sharing with me and with my audience today. Can we talk about principles? Because I know that that's something that you really focus on. It's not just techniques, but principles. Yeah, this is a big one. I mean. The last year has been very tumultuous. So whenever I find myself struggling, you know, we're all going to struggle as leaders just because you're, you know, the president or the CEO of an organization. That doesn't mean that your troubles are over. In fact, sometimes they've just begun. You need to source the correct information and the correct guidance. I've always been a big advocate of getting coaching. I've done sessions with yourself. And I thank you for those. Uh, I have coaches in my personal life. I have coaches for my physical activity. I was very lucky to pick up Ray Dalio's principles book. 
Now I know Ray is a hedge fund manager, but we're very, very lucky that he's taken the time to jot down the principles that he managed his firm, Bridgewater, with. And uh, what I did was I, I essentially adapted a lot of those key principles and built them into principles for our organization at every level. So recruiter principles, submission principles, you know, recruiters that are submitting to account executives, what to look for and how to make sure you're making good submissions, all the way to leadership and uh, management principles. So maybe since we're talking to other recruitment leaders, I can share some of the principles that I've put together for my leadership group. I've always been a big fan of a democratic approach to rulemaking. Uh, so whenever I, I do create principles or rules or guidelines, I share them with my group in usually a Google, Google Doc format to have them give me their input as to what modifications or changes they can see being made, ideas, suggestions. I really like to get everybody's buy-in. And I, I simply believe that that's because they sometimes come up with some great ideas that I haven't thought of. I mean, you can't think of it all, right? So just because you're the leader of the corporation, it doesn't mean you have to come up with all the rules. Utilize your team. I mean, you hire intelligent people, you know, have them put their heads together and come up with uh, some stuff as well. And, and that's exactly what we've done as a group. And what that automatically does is it creates buy-in. These principles have now become sort of a foundational framework for everybody, and we abide by them. Principle number one, this is probably the most important one, and this is focused on my managers and their teams. I really have always told the people in my group that lead others, you are a mini CEO of your own entity, and you really have to behave uh, as such, and you know, feel free to make decisions as such. And so principle number one is that you are solely responsible for you and your team's performance. And that's a big one. You know, everything from hiring to terminating to performance management to tools management, they really have the say on what happens within their group. Of course, they come to me for guidance, but they're in charge. And I think that's a big one. So, you know, if your team is not performing, you have nobody to blame. And you must assume full responsibility. I think that's that's a big one. The onus is on each and every one of us to make sure that our groups are performing. So that's principle number one. Principle number two for the leadership group is uh, you must lead by example. And that's a big one. I mean, you know, you can tell your kids not to do something, but at the end of the day, they're going to follow exactly what you're doing every single day. It's either you do it or don't expect others to. So that goes on all fronts for my leaders. So I'm big on attendance and punctuality in our group. We all arrive at the same time. I know in some recruitment companies, it's staggered and that's fine. Billings, you know, as a, as a manager, you're still expected to perform billing wise. Just because you have a big group, it doesn't mean that you yourself can, can slack and take advantage of that position. Uh, again, they're watching you. I've always been a big proponent that you look up to your manager. And when you're looking at the dashboard and you're seeing your manager at the top, you want to emulate that. You want to see if you can, in effect, beat your manager. I mean, that, that would be a great thing to do. So again, leading by example is key. Stats, following rules, 
not cutting corners, following standard procedures. So when it, you know, it means taking the time to fill that note out more completely, you must do it because guess what? That's the one note everybody's going to look at to say, oh, look, Mark's cutting corners again. I mean, look, yeah, he tells us to fill out the note correctly, but look at him. I mean, he's not doing it, right? So again, do as I say, not as I do does not work. It's important to do exactly what you expect of others yourself first. In my experience, you know, your team will follow suit. Yes, Greg. Agree 100%. Principle number three is to have very clear goals defined for you and your team. And that comes back to also recruiting and finding right recruiters. You need to find people who are goal-driven. So one of the questions I ask is, you know, tell me about a goal that you've set and achieved. Tell me about a goal that you've set and have not achieved. Uh, Tell me about a time when you've had a goal and decided that that goal is no longer a goal that you're going to go for. What was the decision-making process behind that? And why did you make that change? So having clear goals for yourself and your team is very important and not confusing goals with desires. A proper goal is really something that you must accomplish. When I write down a goal, I'm serious about that goal. I can tell you right now that it doesn't matter to me if I've got to stay up and work till 10 o'clock at night, I will do so because that goal is something that I must accomplish. Desires are things that you want. It'd be nice to have it. You know, I wish it were here, but it's not. They're very, very different. So goals have to be clearly defined and adhered to. And I think that really starts at the top. You know, when you are the CEO, when you are a manager or a VP in an organization, you have to achieve your goals. Again, they're all following suit. Principle number four, and this was one that I struggled with for a long time as a leader. And, you know, it came to me later on in life. I'm now 40, 41 years old. Don't worry about looking good. Worry instead about achieving your goals. You know, for me as a leader, that that took a little bit of time because, you know, you want to look good as a manager. You want to be the person that everybody loves and cares for. But at the end of the day, if that conflicts with achieving your goal, then that's a no-no. And, and I've learned that, you know, achieving your goal is more important than looking good. As a manager, sometimes you're going to have to make some very unpopular choices. Some decisions are going to be made where people might not be happy with them. You might not look good, but at the end of the day, when it's aligned with achieving everybody's targets, I think it'll be understood that those decisions needed to be made. And that's really what a good leader is. I think it was Steve Jobs that once said, if you want to be loved by everybody, go sell ice cream. Don't be a manager, right? (laughs) Right. It's not always going to be a popular thing. He's famous for being not likable as a manager. Yeah, I think he was a bit of a tyrant. But then yeah. again, I mean, he he shaped the world. And yeah. uh, if you want to have that deep of an impact, uh, then I guess that's the way to do it. I don't know if I'm to that extreme, but <laughs> I, I also understand that goals are more important than looking good. So, And then the last and, and the fifth principle is to own yours and your team's outcomes. There's nobody to blame but yourself. You're in charge. You have to own it. And I think to me, Mark, that's that's the difference between uh, an adult and a child. I've met some 60-year-old uh, children, people that blame others for their outcomes, people that blame anybody but themselves for what's happening in their life. 
you got nobody to blame. And I mean, there are certain things you can control. And especially in the climate we're in today, of course, we're not going to blame everybody for, for what's going on. There are certain things you can do uh, to change your outcomes. And you have to take ownership for that. Ownership is key to everything in recruitment, isn't it? Because there are so many variables you can't control. We need to focus on really owning the outcome, regardless of whether it works out the way you, you want or not, and taking responsibility for whatever shows up and our own influence, our own part that we play in, in shaping that outcome, for sure. There are only certain things that you can actually control. You know, focus on those things and do those things very well. The rest is really, it's, it's all variable and it's not something you're going to be able to control anyway. So don't sweat the small stuff and do what you can. And, and you know, everything's going to be just fine in the long haul. I think now, especially in this climate that we're in, for myself at least, I'm going to be doubling down on my activity. I know that I did so in the last recession. I worked harder and smarter then. And I'm going to do so again now. That will ensure survival and hopefully a very, very profitable Q3. Here, here. That's amazing. Amazing, Greg. Sometimes recruiters struggle with the, um, the idea of taking ownership because they confuse it with, are you blaming me that the candidate didn't take the job or, or that sort of thing? And so I, I like to explain the difference between being responsible versus being to blame. And uh, the analogy I use is my uncle was in a terrible car accident a few years ago. Luckily, he's fine now. But um, he was obeying the traffic signals. The light turned green. He proceeded into the intersection. And someone else was not paying attention or not following the rules. And they went through a red light and sideswiped him. He woke up in the hospital. Now, when I'm sharing this example with a group and I say, whose fault was that accident? Then everyone agrees. Well, I was the other driver, of course. And I say, absolutely. But whose responsibility was it to make sure that it was safe to proceed into the intersection? And then they think for a minute and they go, I guess it was your uncle's responsibility. I say, absolutely. So what could he have done differently that may, no guarantees, of course, but what could he have done that might have avoided that accident? And then I get them to brainstorm ideas. And then we talk about how this relates to recruiting. So I love your um, principle of ownership. I subscribe to that 100%. And you know what? I think just to add to that, I'm a big fan of checklists. You know, we, we are human beings and we forget things. Things get crazy. Your desk is sometimes on fire. And I understand that. And, you know, things get crazy and you forget to do certain things or they don't seem like they're a priority at that time. So just back to that uncle example, if I were to take a lesson from that, it would be, okay, every single intersection, no matter if I have the green light and the go ahead, I need to check left and right because not everybody's always obeying or now, you know, we like to call them digital zombies. They're on their phone. I mean, they're not paying attention. So it's up to you to make sure. So back to the recruiting principles. What I then do is I take that and I crystallize it into a question that I now add to my recruiting checklist. I mean, if you were to watch me in my office, every single interview, and and I've interviewed thousands of people, every single interview I step into, I step in with my checklist. I don't go into an interview without that checklist because that checklist is precious to me. It's comprised of all of the recruiting mistakes that I've made in the past that I've now crystallized into a question that I must ask. 
And this is exactly the way, you know, we go about doing things. I, I, the way I sell it to my team is this. I mean, would you get on a plane if the pilot told you, you know what, Mark, and every passenger on board, I flew this plane from, you know, the UK to Toronto. Now we're going to, from Toronto back to the UK. I'm good. I don't need to go through this checklist. Uh, you know, our gauges are okay. We're good to go, guys. And, and you know, this is just going to take up too much time. Forget about the checklist. Let's move on. No, you would ask to get off the plane, right? Right. You'd expect that the pilot goes through his checklist. Then why are we any different? We're recruiters. There's a process to follow. Right. And if you're getting away from the process because you think you're more skilled or you're more experienced or you're a veteran in the industry, then I think you're the most susceptible to having these stupid mistakes happen all over again. Absolutely. I agree. I hear this all the time from experienced recruiters, and they've been doing this a number of years, and, and they're doing okay, probably not as well as they could be. And I ask you about the process and, you know, their checklists and their forms and they go, oh yeah, we've got someone's, we've got one somewhere. I don't, I don't ever look at it. And usually that person's not a top producer. Yeah. And, and sometimes their, their rookies are going to build them because their rookies don't know any better. They're, they're following the process that you've given them. But again, that sends a bad, bad signal to your team when you tell them to do something and you yourself are not doing it. I think to me, I mean, I've never been a fan of reporting into a manager that he or she themselves didn't behave in the way that was congruent that, you know, that they were asking me to behave in. I mean, it's, you gotta, you gotta follow the process. If anything, do it because your team is watching, because guess what? When you're stepping off that elevator into the office, from the moment you're, you're there as a leader, you're on stage. There's not one moment where you're not every movement, every word, Everything that you're saying has to be congruent with those values. You know, I continuously remind myself of that because sometimes you forget. But checklists are a great way to ensure that you don't make the silly mistakes that you know you're already above. So just follow the process. Awesome. Well said. You've got so many great insights and uh, analogies and stories. I could talk to you all day about this stuff, Greg. But uh, I want to be respectful of your time and, and let you get back to the chaos of um, navigating your organization through this crisis. Once we emerge out the other side, what's the vision for Bilingual Source? Where ultimately do you want to take this this organization? I think it's going to be a great time to hire uh, some more recruiters. I got to be honest. I think some recruiters are going to uh, be on the market where, you know, for the last two years, they haven't been. It was a time that quite frankly was unprecedented. I mean, we, for the last two years, have had a, a tremendous amount of difficulty securing good talent because everybody was working at an unemployment rate of uh, 3.5% in Toronto. We're now probably going to jump to an unemployment rate of 7%. So to me, that is an opportunity. I'm, I'm seeing a market where there are going to be candidates that I can maybe scoop up, uh, train, and bring on board to my team. So I'm hoping to grow the entity and to... Uh, position ourselves correctly to take advantage of this next upswing. And I certainly hope we're going to go into another seven-year bull market. That would be very nice. And if we're positioned correctly and have the team trained and ready to go, we'll be able to take full advantage of that market share. Awesome. Well said, Greg. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation today. I appreciate it. Mark, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. And just before you go, let me ask you one question. Do you have a plan for the next 30, 60, and 90 days? 
All of my clients have a plan to navigate this crisis because I've helped them to create one. I have survived multiple economic cycles, including the dot-com bubble, the crash after 9-11, the Great Recession of 08-09. And listen, I know this is different to anything we've seen before, but my past experience gives me a high degree of confidence that I'm going to get through this in decent shape, and I'm determined to bring my clients with me. So if you're ready to be proactive instead of reactive, and you're open to getting some guidance and support, then you're invited to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. I'll be focused on helping you to get clarity on your situation and a plan for moving forward. And by the way, I don't have all the answers and I'm not promising miracles. I can promise you'll leave the call feeling re-energized, focused, and with a solid plan for moving forward with or without my help. Once again, it's www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough.